With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos. Welcome back, everyone. Today we have a great guest for a very serious topic. Our guest today is Rick Wall, a retired police chief from Cal State University, L.A. In his 38-year career, he worked for the LAPD, retiring as a captain, and also worked as an inspector at University of Texas in Houston, where he oversaw criminal intelligence and threat management. He developed the LAPD's response protocols to persons in a mental health crisis and oversaw the mental illness project but work, Rick has worked extensively as an expert in use of force incidences involving the mentally ill and suicide by cop. And today that's the topic we're going to be talking about is suicide by cop, which is a topic you don't hear very much about. And, uh, you know, we cover any topic on this show because I understand that sometimes there's certain topics the general public can't handle and um, or is not as provocative, I guess you could say, for the media. So we try to make sure we educate you as much as we can. And so I'm really glad Rick is here to share this information with us. Before we get started, make sure to share, subscribe, hit that like button. You know, we like it. And it's not wasting any more time. Welcome to the show, Rick Wall. Welcome, sir. Good day, sir. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here. And I haven't, I forgot to mention before the show, but thank you very much for your service as well. So, Rick, um, this is a very big problem and a problem people don't talk about very much. I think I got highlighted I think it hit the national stage. The first time I saw it pretty big, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time I saw it on the national stage was Live PD uh, when they had Officer Ross, a buddy of mine, who actually went into a cafeteria. You might remember the story. In in Tulsa at the uh, Corner corner Cafe. Exactly. And that one really took center stage on this issue of suicide by cop. Tell us a little bit about suicide by cop, what it is and the numbers and what you do. Well, let me just kind of give a little brief about what I do. Uh, one of the things that when I was at LAPD, I was a lieutenant. I was, as you mentioned, put in charge of the mental illness project to identify best practices for responding to persons with mental health issues. Uh, I had to respond to every barricaded suspect to look at this, see, determine if there was a mental health component to that. And about 70% of those barricaded suspects were actually suicidal subjects who were threatening to harm themselves or threatening to kill themselves. I responded every officer involved shooting. I started looking at protocols and what was happening. And I started seeing this pattern developing where subjects were doing stupid things or silly things and getting shot. You know, we, we kind of joke in law enforcement about the guy brought a knife to a gunfight. What the hell was he thinking? Well, he may have been suicidal. And it, he knew that that was going to be the act that was going to be necessary to have the officer kill, kill him. 
Um, as you mentioned, Suicide by Cop really didn't start to take off until about 1993. There was a study by a guy named Gerberth and, um, in, out of New York, and Gerberth identified Suicide by Cop, defined it as incidents in which individuals bent on self-destruction engage in life-threatening and criminal behavior to force the police to kill them. And that was really the first time that somebody had really created a, a good, solid definition for suicide by cop. That Vernon? There, have been, other, there have been others that have been out there. Um, you know, police assisted suicide, people will talk about. I, I loathe that um, because if you're assisting someone, it gives the impression that you're voluntarily helping them. And, and we're not. Um, but that's where it really started to get some traction. Was that um, Vernon Gerbeth? Yeah. Oh, yes, wow. okay. Yeah. And then in uh, 1999, uh, Dr. Barry Peru put out the first really comprehensive study. And it was he was an L.A. County Sheriff Sergeant and uh, put it, uh, this plan together and, and identified that 10 percent of the shootings in L.A. County Sheriff's um, were acts of suicide. Um, in 2009, doctors wow. Chris, Chris Mahandi, uh, Reed Malloy and Stephen White put together a very comprehensive study on suicide by cop and identified that 30% of officer-involved shootings um, across the nation are acts of suicide. And so what we, we really started seeing that now, if you think about it, you know, Gerberth's King was in 93, that's 28 years ago. That's a lifetime and a career for a lot of people. Yeah. But in law enforcement, that's just a blip on the radar. I mean, it takes a long time for some real things to really start to get traction in, in law enforcement. And this is one of the ones that I think we've really been missing out on. We're starting to see it now with social media and some of these other things. We're now starting to see these events occur. And now people are saying, OK, I got this. This, this makes sense. Um, nationally, court, the, a, a, third, like I said, a third of all police shootings are after suicide by cop. Um, a third nationally. Now, LAPDs last year, they came up with 18%. Um, so if you had a large agency like LA that's got a lot of shootings, uh, most of which are involving you know, some knucklehead gangsters and, and those kinds of cases, um, and they're at 18%. Statistically, if you're in a, in a smaller agency, if you have an officer-involved shooting, it's probably an over 50% chance that that's going to be an active suicide by cop. The city of Inglewood, Inglewood Police Department, which is a suburb of in Los Angeles, uh, it's its own city, obviously. Um, home of the Chargers, home of the Raiders. I mean, excuse me, the Rams. Ooh, sorry about that, Raiders fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, th uh, their their chief did a six year review and identified that sixty six zero percent of their shootings were acts of suicide by cop. Um, so this is a this is a very big topic. In fact, they, they just had one about three weeks ago. And interestingly enough, on that case, um, they had dealt with this subject two prior occasions where he had attempted suicide by cop, but because of the, some of the training we talk about, they were able to de-escalate and take him into custody without having to shoot him. This time he was holding his wife hostage at knife point and threatening to shoot her, threatening oh, yeah. to kill her and then literally stepped in front of a window to prevent them from being able to, to, to stop him physically, but be able to shoot him. And uh, tragically, they had to, they had to you know, shoot him and, and he died. Um, 
So there's really three typologies we look at. Now, let me, let me throw this out real quick. In um, September of 2019, PERF, the Police Executive Research Forum, put out a very good document on suicide by cop, talked about it. Um, there's some nuanced differences that, that I, I, I don't agree with. Um, for example, they, they classify two types of, psycho, of suicide by cop, pre-planned and unplanned. Um, I kind of subscribe a little bit more to the one that Chris Mahandi, uh, Reed Malloy, and Steve White came up with, which was the three typologies, which are disturbed intervention, a direct confrontation, and a criminal intervention. A disturbed intervention is where you have a subject who's committing suicide, is in the act of killing himself, in the act of killing herself. And for whatever reason, it's not happening. They can't cut themselves. They can't pull the trigger. They've overdosed, but the meds, the, the, the drugs haven't taken effect. They, have, they figured they would have been dead by now. I should have passed out an hour ago. Why am I still here? The police respond. And then when the police ends up pointing the gun at them, um, they go, oh, I'll have you kill me. And so that'll, that's a transition. That's about half the time is that is it's a disturbed intervention. Um, direct confrontation is an excellent. It's about a third of those. That's an ambush. It's a pre-planned event where the subject does something specifically to cause the officers to respond so that they can kill him. Uh, it's, uh, he's not going to de-escalate. You are not going to be able to de-escalate him verbally. And, um, but, you know, and it's a pre-planned event. He's planned the whole thing out. And the last one is a criminal intervention, which is, you know, gangster Smokey is robbing the, 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 the mini Mart and the police get there before he gets away. And then he says, you know, I'm not going back to prison. I'm going to die and commits acts to force the police to kill him. I got to qualify. There's a nuanced difference between that guy and the guy that's going to shoot it out and doesn't care if he dies. Because his goal is still to get away. This guy's not going to get away. And we've actually seen cases where they'll come out with a hostage and then create distance between them and the hostage to be able to give the officer a, a better target to, to take them down to kill them. Um, so those are the real three typologies that, that came up with. Um, this is a big deal. Uh, like I said, if, if everybody, if, if a third of police shootings involve people with green hats, I guarantee you we would be having conversations about people with green hats and how to prevent those things from happening. This is a not getting a lot of traction, um, part of which is because many coroners are reluctant to classify it as a suicide by cop. Um, they, they classify it as a homicide, death by the hands, at the hands of another. Um, but it's 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 interesting too because I had a conversation with a, with a, at a con, at a convention or conference of coroners, and I posed the question that if a guy jumps in front of a of a of an MTA bus and is killed, is it a suicide or do you classify it as a vehicular homicide? Because there was a guy driving the bus, so well they said, well no, it was clearly a suicide. Okay, this is clearly a suicide. And so one of the things we talk about in our classes is how to investigate a suicide by cop incident should one occur. Um, there's a, we, we recommend conducting a parallel investigation to look at the suicide. Our, our officer-involved shooting investigations, we look at the shooting, we look at the law, we look at Graham versus Connor, we look at you know, all those department policies. 
And that's important. We need to look at that. But if we see indicators, and there's five indicators that I look for in a suicide by cop shooting, if we see those indicators, what we recommend is you need to slow down and then just start a separate investigation to start collecting evidence and information on that suicide. Um, it, it was a pre-planned event and there's going to be things. There's going to be videos. What was their, what were their internet history? What were they looking at? Were they looking at police shootings? Were they looking at different things? Um, did they, who did they text? Did they give away personal possessions? There's, there's a whole bunch of suicidal things that we can talk about real quick, um, you know, briefly as we, as we go through this, this topic. But suicide by cop uh, really got some traction a couple of years ago in California's in the Ninth Circuit, uh, one of the most overturned courts in the nation. Um, there was a case called Boyd versus San Francisco. And in Boyd, um, this, the Ninth Circuit identified that suicide, cop, suicide by cop was a valid theory. Uh, Cameron Boyd was being pursued by the San Francisco Police Department. He had fired shots at them earlier. Uh, he was on the phone with dispatch saying, uh, when this ends, I'm going to kill as many police officers as I can. He crashed. And as he exited the vehicle, he reached back into the vehicle, believing he was arming himself. He was shot and killed. He was not armed, but there was a gun in the car. Um, family sued. Long story short, Cameron Boyd has, was a double amputee who'd lost both of his legs below the knees several years earlier while when he crashed while being pursued by the San Francisco Police Department. And he told everybody he was gonna do something someday to force them to kill him, to force them to write a check to his family for, for the loss of his legs. And, it, and the Ninth Circuit, most overturned court in the nation, uh, got one right on this one and said, you know what, this, is, this suicide by cop is valid. This was the, and, the, and the significance of this case was this was the first time that the officers used suicide by cop as a defense, as part of their defense, to say, yes, look, this was in policy. However, he did these things. Um, and it's really important that you know, we understand how this happened. Uh, I get calls now from agencies saying, hey, we, we had a shooting a couple of years ago. We're getting sued. Uh, we think it's a suicide by a cop. Can you help us take a look at it? And my thoughts and my first question is, okay, what evidence did we collect? Did we get his phones? Did we get his text messages? Did we get his voicemails? No, we didn't get any of that stuff. And, and three years later, you're not going to get it. You know, that's part of our, the problem with, the, with our stuff. So what we want to recommend is that people identify those things. Now, if I may, I'll uh, just kind of quickly go over what I believe are the the, 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 the five big indicators that we're looking for on the suicide. Um, the first is that the suspect does something to cause the police to respond. In their intent, and that includes calling on themselves. We see a number of cases where the subject will do something and then call on himself, call on herself and describe them. A couple of years ago in, in the town of Clovis, which is in central California, there was a guy called the police and said, there's a guy with a rifle. He's shooting people at Walmart. It's Walmart's closing. And then this, the staff is leaving. They're he's shooting. You guys wearing black t-shirt, camo pants, armed with a rifle. Police get there. There he is, armed with a rifle, black shirt, camo pants. He points the rifle in the direction of the officers, uh, resulting in an officer involved shooting, resulting in his demise. In his pocket is his cell phone. On his cell phone, is a, his last call was to 911. He called on himself. 
the rifle was a BB gun. We we see these happen a lot. And and I'm just, I'm going to digress slightly, just to point out that it's been my experience and what we're seeing is that a, a third of the time when you have a shooting, a suicide by cop specifically, where the suspect is feigning a weapon, has a fake weapon, fake gun, fake knife, holding up a cell phone, something to simulate a weapon. Um, the officers suffer higher rates of depression. Uh, officers are uh, substance abuse, uh, higher rates of re- just leaving law enforcement as a whole, and increased rate of suicide. Uh, I, I've argued for, for a long time that we're very moral people. And if we have to take a life, it's because we had to take a life. And then later on, you find out the guy was pointing a toy, a, a, an airsoft pistol at you. We process that differently because now your, your, your emotional mind is saying, okay, but I didn't have to kill him because it wasn't a real gun. Well, you didn't know that at the time, but now you're second guessing yourself. And then you're, playing this thing over and over in your head um, about what you could have done to avoid that. And with proper counseling and help, we can, we help our officers get through that. The problem is we don't know about that up front many times because agencies aren't looking at that. Yeah. You had a question. I'm sorry. I just want to make a statement for people out there. This is why sometimes headlines can be really misleading because I know the headline for this is going to be cop kills somebody with a fake gun. (laughs) And that's going to give a whole different impression of it. That's great for people to understand the other side of that story. And you have to read deeper into that article, folks, because a lot of times you'll see these headlines. Um, cop kills individual with a fake gun or BB gun, the airsoft gun, and it makes it seem like they knew what it was when, in fact, they really didn't. So that's a great, great insight there. Rick. Go ahead. If, if I may, just to follow up on that, we yeah. had a, a case that just completely rocked California a couple of years ago. It was the shooting, shooting of Stefan Clark. Stevon Clark was an African-American male who was shot and killed by the Sacramento Police Department in the backyard of his grandparents' house. And, and as a result of that shooting, California laws changed. It was Assembly Bill 392, changed a, a bunch of things on how police responded to different things. And it was a huge story. Interesting thing, um, Stefan Clark, um, was a troubled young man. He was on probation. He had a long history of mental health issues. He um, had been on the internet ident- looking for different ways to commit suicide for a couple of weeks before this incident. He lived with his grandparents, but he didn't have a key to the house because they didn't want him in the house if they weren't home. Um, that he, after he decided on his, his way to commit suicide was going to be as a, in an overdose. He then on the internet and through text messages acquired the drugs and the alcohol that he chose to consume in order to commit his act of suicide. Um, the, it was allegedly, a call was generated that he was vandalizing the car out in front of his grandparents' house. The police responded, they chased him into the backyard. As they went into the backyard, they turn the corner and he's in a shooting stance and it's, it's visible on the body camera. He's in a shooting stance holding what the officers to believe to be a firearm. They yell gun, gun. They retreat around the corner. As they step around the corner, one of the officers does a quick peek to look and see what's happening. Stefan Clark's not trying to get away. He's not trying to go over the fence, not trying to get in the house. He's advancing towards them in his shooting stance, holding what they believe to be a firearm. The officer again yells, gun, gun. 
they have two choices. They can disengage. They can try to get out between the fence and the house and get, and, and get out the gate before he comes around the corner, or they can engage the threat. They engage the threat and tragically, they killed Stefan Clark. Um, all of that information was in the shooting investigation. All of that information was known to the media. All of that information was known to the California State Legislature. Um, when that case was presented to the Sacramento District Attorney, the District Attorney did, did not file. They appealed it to the uh, uh, Attorney General and California State Attorney General at the time was Javier Becerra, who's now Biden's Secretary of Health and Human Services. And he and I actually had a conversation about this case and, and it, it's my opinion and he shared it. Um, not that I swayed him or any way, <laughs> just but the, this was an act of suicide by cop. In my opinion, and I mentioned this earlier with the disturbed intervention. In my opinion, he had ingested these drugs and thought he would be dead sooner. And when he wasn't, then the police showed up and he said, I will use them. I will have them kill me. Um, and, I, and I say this not to be aloof or to be glib about it. Um, I have literally interviewed hundreds of people who've attempted suicide by cop. And those who've attempted to overdose and it wasn't working, I've said simply, I thought I'd be dead already. And then it wasn't happening. And then the officer showed up and I thought, you know what? I'll have the officer kill me. Um, there was a study in 2019 by Cal State Fullerton that for every completed act of suicide by cop where the suspect is shot and killed, there are 50, five, zero individuals who attempt to commit suicide by cop. So if you think that a third of our police shootings are acts of suicide and 50 times that, could have could have gone that way. This is a big deal. And I really think that we need to be having this conversation. And I thank you for, for, for letting us talk about this. Absolutely. And I think we're on the second indicator now, the five. Right. The second Amazing. indicator is that the nature of the call is something that we got to go to. It's not like, mm -hmm. hey, there's a loud radio or there's something. It's, you know, there's a guy with a gun. There's a there's a person with a gun. Um, or there's a shooting or there's something that has to happen. Um, uh, the third one is that the subject produces or feigns a weapon. Uh, fourth is advances towards the officer to prevent the officer from redeploying or utilizing less lethal. And then lastly, the suspect has no plan to escape or to self-de-escalate. So talk about the self-de-escalation real quick. Um, you're, you're, the, you're, you're the doctor, I'm not. <laughs> but it's been my experience in talking to a lot of other folks. Um, we, we have, everyone's focusing on de-escalation right now. It's a, it's, a, it's a big topic. But the question I pose to my, in my classes is, can you actually de-escalate another person? Can if you, they want to. <laughs> ah, and that's the key right there. The person has to be willing or able to self-de-escalate. There's no magic wand. There's no magic thing. If you've got a subject who's committed, I'm going to force the police to kill me. You can communicate with them all night long, and that's not going. And they're not changing their mind. You're going to end up in a, in a, in a potentially deadly force situation. Um, so that's that's a huge piece that we kind of want to you know lay out there. The other thing we talked about was, and I forgot where I was going on that one. I, I was okay <laughs> on, <laughs> on the, the subject advancing to, to force the officers. Um, that's there's a something a trend we're seeing. This is an interesting one. This is especially cautionary to the to your law enforcement uh, listeners. Um, 
one of the interesting things we've seen is that this in these direct confrontations where the suspect wants the police officer to kill him, most of our agencies throughout the United States are single cars, single man, single woman in a car. They get there, they're having their conversation, they're trying to de-escalate, they're trying to get the guy to put the weapon down, put the knife down, put the gun, whatever it is. When that second officer arrives, generally with, with less lethal and begins to deploy less lethal, um, that's a very dangerous time because that's when the suspect now knows, hey, they're about to stop me from killing myself. They're going to do something here. They're going to tase me. They're going to beanbag me. They're going to hit me with a 40. They're going to hit me with a pepper ball. They're going to hit me with something that's going to stop this from happening. So as that second officer begins to break out that less lethal, it's a very high risk moment for that officer, that primary officer, because the suspect may make their attack right then to say, I got to make this happen now because otherwise they're going to stop me. And we're starting to see one of, one of the classes we did, we started identifying that. And then we start literally start going back, looking at videos and you'll see cases where the guys, you know, they've got a conversation, maybe the suspect's advancing and all of a sudden there's one, a, a great one out of Colorado state university where the officer turns to his backup and says, okay, I'm going to try a taser. And as soon as he starts the holster's his weapon, the suspect charges, runs at him with a knife. You know, again, so that, that's just one of the things that we want to, we want to kind of caution people about. But suicide by cop, again, it's a, it's a big thing. One of the things we talk about after we look at those five indicators, we want to look to determine if the suspect possesses what we call a cognition of consequence. Does he or she understand that their actions are going to have a lethal outcome? Um, there all maybe a person with a mental health issue who's brandishing uh, something and they start to walk towards the officer do they understand that that act is going to result in their death? And, and it may not. And, and, and that's why sometimes it, what people think, oh, that's a suicide by cop. It may not actually be a suicide by cop. I'm not saying the shooting can be out of policy. I mean, the shooting can be an in-policy shooting by most agency standards. Um, but it's just something to be cognizant of to say, you know. Fine. Sorry about that, Rick. You were saying? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, 70% of officer-involved shootings involving veterans have indicators of suicide by cop. Um, they understand our rules of engagement. They know that they're if they do a certain act, point a weapon, or move in the direction of an officer holding a weapon, that that officer is going to respond with deadly force. So a veteran can, possesses that cognition of consequence, understands that his or her actions are going to result in a deadly in a deadly encounter. A person with a mental health issue may not. Um, so just because it's a person with advanced towards them doesn't automatically. So that's why, and that's why I said that's why we need to start looking and conduct, con conducting a separate investigation to look at the suicidality. What is it that put the officer on the X? Um, you know, so that doesn't mean it's going to always say it's, it's, it's a suicide by cop. It's going to be an in-policy shooting. You can still have an out-of-policy shooting. But we want to understand what put the officer on the X. And we're seeing now, as a result of some of this research and some of these things we're starting to see, um, we're seeing more agencies disengaging. Um, they're going wow. to a house. They've got a suicidal subject in the house threatening to kill himself. Nobody else is there. And the agency says, you know what? 
It's not a crime to be suicidal. They've not committed a crime. Um, we're not going in, we're leaving. And they're leaving. Um, there was a, a Fresno Police Department in California uh, actually has a, a training order that lays out their protocol and has an admonition that the officers required to read to the family members that basically says, we're leaving. There's no crime. Uh, we're not going in. And thank you very much. If something changes, give us a call. And, and that came out as a result of a situation where there was a suicidal subject armed with a gun in a house. And he said he was going to kill himself. And if the police came in and tried to stop him, he was going to kill the police. And the chief of police and the captain were outside and they said, what are we doing? Do we have a crime? No. Is he threatening anybody? Is there a risk to anybody else? No. Then if we send an officer in there, if we send a team in there, we're going to end up killing this guy and we could lose an officer. So we're just going to leave. And we are seeing this disengagement happening more and more throughout the United States. Um, it's becoming a big thing, you know, and now, and, and on the heels of that, when you add the defund movement where they don't want the police to respond to these things, that this is just feeding into that part of that process. It, it, it may not be a bad idea to walk away. Um, there's some, some court cases. There's a really interesting case, uh, Armstrong versus Pinehurst, which is a fourth circuit decision where the, um, the judges said very simply that um, law enforcement will learn soon enough that sins of omission are generally not actionable. So there's, the court said, you know what? If you don't do something, that might be better than doing something that turns out to be wrong or doing the wrong thing. Um, so we're really seeing as people are now starting to get their minds around this suicide by cop thing, um, that this is really, a, it's happening. So, you know, these are, these are big topics in our class we cover um suicide indicators you know there's a pathway to suicide so four steps you know ideation planning acquisition implementation um ideation they come up with the idea that they want to do something planning they figure out how they're going to do it acquisition they acquire the means and then implementation they do it you look at stefan clark right on the internet he comes up with the idea he's going to kill himself he goes on the internet he researches different ways he decides he's going to do an overdose he then acquires the meds to do that and then takes them. So this is a process. Um, this is also the same process of mass killers and mass shootings. They, it's, 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 it, right. And I will argue and have argued that by and large, if you have a mass shooting, it's an act of suicide in that the subject is going there to die. They're going to do other things to force the police to kill them or they're going to settle some scores. But that's a big one. In that process, that, that you know, the pathway to suicide, um, subjects engage in something that's referred to as leakage. They begin to communicate their intent to do something. And this is a really important piece because we want our officers to, and our dispatchers to slow things down. There's, there's two questions you gotta ask yourself. Am I going in? And am I going in right now? And the answer to both of those is probably going to be no. You know, we may not want to, we're definitely not going in right now. I mean, there's going to be those situations, your child inside, there's school shooting. There's going to be things that we're going to say, okay, we got to go right now. But the vast majority of these things, 
it's this sense that we have to go in and save the day. And we're saying, no, let's just slow things down a little bit. You may still end up going in, but let's get some information. Let's find out what's going on. Um, a lot of calls come out to law enforcement agencies from service providers, doctors, nurses, licensed clinical social workers saying, hey, we have this person who's, you know, acting out a little bit. Hey, do you mind going and doing a welfare check, right? The infamous welfare check. Um, I'm, I'm suggesting that based on my experiences um, that it's not a welfare check. Welfare check is, hey, Aunt Edna next door is not, I haven't seen her in a couple of days. Her cats are on the front porch meowing. Can somebody go check and make sure Edna's okay? She's not answering her jitterbug when I call. You know, there's, if you're getting a call from a pro, mental health professional, you're getting a call because their subject is suicidal. Their subject is suicidal or homicidal. They're not just saying, hey, can you go by and see how Billy's doing? And maybe go play catch with him in the front yard. They, they're calling you because he's suicidal. And as a result, HIPAA doesn't apply. There's a law enforcement exception to HIPAA, section 45 CFR, section 164.512J1IA. It's a, it's a long, long but, but you can look up, it's a law enforcement exception to HIPAA. It says that information can be shared with officers to prevent or lessen a serious or imminent threat to the health and safety of the public or the individual. So when you get that call from that doctor, you get the call from the clinic that says, hey, can you go out and do a welfare check? We need just to stop right there and say, why? Why do you need us to go out there? Is he suicidal? Is he homicidal? And they'll try to throw up the HIPAA wall and you say, sorry, you're calling me because you believe there's an imminent threat. Not an immediate threat, imminent. Imminent means it could happen, probably going to happen. It's likely to happen as opposed to immediate, which means it's happened. It's on. So when we start to get this information, now you start to get the information. We, we were actually teaching a class at a California State, at Cal State Long Beach. And we had just finished talking about this when a call came in to do a welfare check on a student. And everybody in the class starts laughing because and the sergeant calls and says to the counseling center and says, what's going on? Well, we wanted to do a welfare check. Why? Is she suicidal? Yes, she is. What, what's she planning on doing? Well, she's got a handgun and she's at the administration building. Okay. This has now gone from a welfare check to a suicidal individual with a gun on a college campus at the administration building. This is now ratcheted up significantly just by asking a question, just by finding out what's going on. And so we're saying we're still probably going to end up going. And, and I think you, you got to go. You know, if your agency has a policy that we're going to disengage or leave, that's fine. But you still kind of got to go to find out what's going on. Um, and then but your mindset's different going into it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going because I've got a student. If you if you and again, we know. You know, we're seeing it. Now. And guess what? The Surgeon General has even said all of a sudden that that this lockdown from COVID is impacting the mental health of our kids, of our students, not just not in colleges, that's elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, um, you know, where our children are, are lacking, uh, losing a couple of years of socialization. And part of socialization is dealing with conflict. You know, if you're upset about somebody, how do you work that conflict out? 
if you don't know how to do that because you haven't done that, you haven't developed that skill, you may react violently. Hey, wait a second. We're seeing an increase in violence in schools. We're seeing an increase in violence attacks all over the place. Are these directly related to the lockdown? I think they may be. So I think those are things that we need to be cognizant of. But you hit the nail on the head. If you're, you need to get as much information to that officer to improve, improve the, the quality or the potential outcome in that situation. I know, so, Rick, we're, we're running out of time. We've got a couple of minutes. Um, sure. I want to ask you a quick question. Absolutely. How much, how much of an impact do you think, how would I phrase this? Um, the media plays a role in the sense of suicide by cop where an individual sees other individuals using the cop in a sense to take their life away. Does that generate a copycat mentality? You think we see with individuals who commit suicide off of bridges and then people, celebrities, they never mention it either. Do you see that playing a role at all? I think it does. I, I think it, it, the social media aspect of it does. Um, I, I, I you know, we have a lot of people that are always looking for a way. Um, it's been it's been my experience that if you have a person who's attempting suicide by cop, they have tried they've attempted suicide before on numerous occasions. This isn't the first time. The first time is generally not going to be that suicide by cop incident. Um, they're, that's going to be the fallback because they've tried to do it other times and it didn't work. Um, we did have a case in California recently where a guy was terminally ill. Um, he generated a call. He had a cancer. He was, you know, and he said he didn't want to die that way. Um, generated a call. The officers get to the scene. They said he walked up to the front door. He reached inside the front door. He had guns and holsters inside the front door. Came out. They said, quote, like Yosemite Sam. A gun in each hand, firing wildly. Oh, wow. um, they, they shot him. During the follow-up investigation, they found talking to his wife that he spent every night watching police shootings, police tactics, and suicide by cop incidents on the internet and, and repeatedly said, that's how I want to go out. I want that to happen. I can't die. I don't want to die this painful death of cancer. Um, so, so I can say it, it has the potential. I, I obviously I can't, I haven't seen anything definitive to say, yes, it's, it's increasing because of that. But I think as people are looking for ways and they fail other occasions um, that they're going to, that they may gravitate to that. Yeah. I have to end it there. We definitely have to bring it back, Rick, to explore it more and maybe even have some additional panel members to join us with this conversation. Um, just so much going on here, and it's tragic on both ends. I mean, it's tragic for the officers, obviously, who shot them, but it's also the person gets to that point in their life to force that. Rick, where can we go get more information about you and what you're doing? Well, my website's rickwall.consulting, R-I-C-K-W-A-L-L.consulting. Uh, we're teaching our classes. Again, we're, we're currently in teaching, been approved in Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona, Oregon, California. Uh, we're doing classes in Kansas coming up in February. Uh, we've got classes. We've been approved by the post agencies in Iowa, Nebraska, uh, Florida. I'm sorry, not Florida, um, Alabama, Louisiana. And we're also going to be doing some classes in, in the Chicago area um, this, this spring. So um, we, we have classes you can attend online or in person. And, uh, you know, if we're always available to help you know, consult with any of these issues, we should show something come up. Well, it's great stuff, Rick. Thank you so much again for taking the time and for the program that you're doing. Oh, thank you.
folks rick wall.consulting go check it out you can also find him on his uh, linkedin he's there as well if you want to get more information definitely check out rickwall.consulting if you're in law enforcement if you know somebody who is in law enforcement it's a great podcast to share with them to give them some insight thanks again folks for listening make sure to share subscribe hit that like button folks check out rickwall.consulting stay safe out there okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.